You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Well, guys, good morning. We're um, just a huge warm welcome to you. Um, we're delighted you're here. If, if you're here for the first time, um, this, this is the first Sunday that we've met together on a morning this year. So um, it's great to be back together. Uh, there was a fire in the school building that we meet in. Um, it's meant that we've moved here. And I've got to say this, we're delighted to be here. It's, it's fascinating that the fire happened because we'd kind of outgrown the gathering space that we were in in the previous building. And also for a number of factors, I think it was kind of clearly highlighted um, that we were meant to move there, from there, but also that we were meant to move here. And I found that actually really challenging, but also really encouraging, how God has so clearly, as a church, had us um, in his hand, how he leads, how he guides, and we kind of really just want to be obedient to him. We just want to follow him. We want to be led by him. We want to be his people, and we want him to be our God. And as you go on that journey of thinking about that, I was, I was led again just to Exodus 33, and it, verse 15 says this. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me on me and on your people, if you don't go with us. For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you've asked, for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. The amount of people who have had dreams and visions and impressions that we were moving is, is really quite remarkable. I kind of wish some of you had told me earlier. But um, one of you contacted me this last week, and I have their permission to share this story. They said this, um, thank you for what you shared yesterday. They were sending this on Monday after I shared last Sunday, reflecting on the move here. Thank you for what you shared yesterday. So excited for this next chapter. I'm sure you don't need more confirmation that this is the right thing, but I just wanted to share a weird thing that happened last week before I heard anything about the new venue. I absolutely never, capital letters never, go to Alexander Park, which is the park literally just the opposite side of the road. But for some reason on Wednesday last week, I just randomly went there when I had a few spare hours. I read my book in the cafe and I found myself walking around the park and praying for the people of the area. I was looking at the flats around and thinking that it would be a nice place to live and spend more time. And I now see that God was preparing me to emotionally be invested in the area. I wasn't really sure what had brought me there, but it now actually feels pretty significant. I'm amazed how many dreams, visions, pictures, impressions, stirrings like that many of you had because Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't leave us, don't make us leave this place, how will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on the earth. And the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you've asked, for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. 
I can't even begin to tell you the amount of people who have had words about extending the tent pegs. Stefan and I were away this week with some other leaders around the vineyard and without even knowing the story, they just kept having words like a number of you about extending the tent pegs. It's not that we don't care about where we were because we do. We have actually permanence in the building there in 422 and if you're new over the weeks coming ahead, you'll find out all about it. But Isaiah 54 verse 2, enlarge your house build an addition, spread out your home and spare no expense for you will soon be bursting at the seams. Your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle the ruined cities. We needed to enlarge the house but also ensure that our hearts remained expanded on the city rather than one locality or segment within it. I am honestly so grateful for his presence among us. We're the people and we are a people of his presence and his presence has power and in that power there is a purpose, a purpose to change us, to shape us, to heal us, to restore us, to set us free, to set us on fire and to show and to share the love of God with the world around us. Some of you will have been around for a while and because of the last few weeks, meeting in the afternoons, honestly, that is jolly hard work. I know there's some benefits, but it is jolly hard work. Welcome back. Some of you will be joining us for the first time. And I, I want to say this, we're delighted you're here. And I'm delighted that you're in this moment stepping into the story of God that he's writing and forming among us. But also your own story that he's writing and forming in your life. I'm excited for you because I know that I know that I know that I know. And I guess what I want to say is I know that we're meant to be here. And, and therefore, that your being here isn't by accident. Now, it may feel like it is, but I don't think it is. Oh, I just wanted to try a church. And oh, just because things didn't really work out where we were I kind of we wanted to try this new thing or oh I didn't know and you know I'm not really sure what I think about Jesus so I'm just trying to work out if I should be exploring him absolutely that is all part of the journey but please know this you're meant to be here we're meant to be here and I'm excited for what God is wanting and trying to do in your life because whenever we start a new chapter and a new story like this like today it just presents us with the most remarkable opportunity i want to read this to you from lamentations 3:22 it says this the faithful love of the lord never ends his mercies never cease great is his faithfulness his mercies begin afresh each morning I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. And it is good for people to submit at an early age to the yoke of the Lord's discipline. It's, it's a new day and it's a new chapter and he's good to those that depend on him and those that search for him. Would you come and learn to depend on him? And we want to encourage you to keep searching for him. Now, it kind of might seem a little bit easier to gloss over the final bit where it says it's good for people to submit at an early age to the yoke of the Lord's discipline. But don't we want to commit to growing up before we grow old? 
to deal with our pain, our pride, our insecurity, our bad behavior, our bad attitudes, our untamed lifestyles, our cynicism, whatever it is. I, a number of people actually had words this morning that is, we walked in through the locker room. What an amazing little entrance that is. I'm glad you found it here, but I kind of like it. We walked through the locker room and the, the words were that you leave your stuff in the locker room, you get changed. Would it be that this is a real significant moment for some of us to leave behind whatever it was. New moments can be remarkable accelerators for that. You come as you are, but you don't stay as you are because we're changed by his presence when we yield to his presence. And today I want to kickstart a new series called Invitation. The definition of invitation is that it is a written or verbal request inviting somebody to go somewhere or to do something. And I want to invite you along with us, to go somewhere and to do something. In this little series, we're just going to look at multiple different aspects of, of being invited. But we're invited to, and, and, and to, to see our lives changed. And I want to invite you into that place this morning. Today, I want to invite you to live in and under the power of the Holy Spirit. I loved all that we sang in worship this morning. It kind of felt like we'd already gone on this journey, but we want to live in and under the power of the Holy Spirit. We're his people. We're marked by his presence. His presence among us sets us apart from all the people on the earth. And one of the challenges, I think, is we don't always live that way. We don't always live like we have his presence. We don't always realize that we've leaked his presence and we need refilling. I kind of just want to give you a quick picture if I can. Imagine if you have a glass of water and I was kind of going to do this but then I thought about the new building, new floor, don't destroy our relationship on week one but if, if you had a glass of water and it's three quarters full and you drink a bit and it goes down to half and you drink a bit more and it goes down to quarter and whether you're a half full glass kind of person or you're a half empty glass kind of person whether you're naturally optimistic or pessimistic whichever way you see it the glass is kind of down to quarter the positive way of saying it is it's a quarter full but nothing you can do by yourself is going to fill it up without getting more water in that glass constantly things are draining on you the challenges of life, the pressures, the burdens, the relationships, the work dynamics, the health considerations, whatever it is that is around you is constantly taking something out of the tank of your glass of life and your effort and your enthusiasm isn't going to top that up. What you need is an external source and I kind of really would love to show you this so that you could visually see it but imagine a glass, the glass just being filled by a jug of water there's the potential in that jug of water to pour more into you than the glass itself can contain. So when it gets topped up, when it gets to the full, it can just keep going and keep going and keep going. The phenomenal thing is it will just keep going and it will just pour out and flood over onto the sides and spill everywhere. So every time you take a drink, every time you spill a bit, every time you lose a bit, there's just constantly more pouring in and overflowing. So imagine in life, depleted, whatever you do, however you do it, takes a bit. Meeting other people's needs takes a bit. High-octane children, 
they call us children spirited. I'm like, you mean high octane. It, it takes a bit. Challenging family dynamics. It takes a bit. Poor health takes a bit. Negative and cynical people around you takes a bit. Strain with your spouse. Damp in your house. Financial insecurity. It all just takes a bit. Not knowing what job you're meant to do and constantly applying and getting nowhere takes a bit. And it all takes a bit that in your own effort and your own positivity and your resolve to hold it all together isn't the thing that is going to refill the glass. But John 4, verse 13, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. You need something different to the thing that you're currently getting Doing it yourself will not be the thing that does it. Drinking the water that he gives becomes the bubbling spring within giving life and overflowing that is more than enough. When the jug pours in, if you have to give out, it's not costing you in the same way because you're overflowing. You've got more to give. You're not depleted. You're constantly being refreshed and refilled. We live in this cultural moment where our answers to being exhausted is often to stop to pull back and to do less and if I'm honest I don't actually buy it I think there are things that would be really helpful and healthy that we stop doing like constantly living on a 24-7 pace or constantly scrolling and scrolling and scrolling that isn't so healthy but it's often because we do the wrong thing rather than we do too much of the right thing. We're meant to work hard in extending the kingdom of God. We're meant to, though, be constantly being refilled rather than it coming from a place of depletion, soaking in the presence of God. When, when you're in a church plant, kind of like we are, so many people often ask, how old is the church? When did it plant? And I'm not trying to be difficult or awkward about it, but I have found myself saying recently, or at least thinking, I think we're about 2,000 years old. And that's partly maybe just because physically I feel like that, but <laughs> you, see the, the, you see kind of the account of the early church recorded in the book of Acts, and the people mentioned in that book are our brothers and our sisters. And of course, the people of God didn't originate in the first century. God has always had a people for himself and a people to whom... He displays his glory in a people through whom he displays his glory. But nevertheless, like the book of Acts is this really pivotal turning point in redemptive history. And Acts describes the history of the mission of the early church. And because we're part of the church history and the mission, I think that book is actually, as is the whole Bible, but that book is really important to us. And this history is recorded in the book of Acts, it actually covers a really, really short period of time. It's, it's kind of three decades in world history. That's, that's all it took. It was between AD 33 and AD 64. We, we see this new movement of the church that is born. And in those 30 years, it got sufficient growth and sufficient credibility to become the largest religion that the world has ever seen and to change the lives of literally hundreds and hundreds of millions of people. It spread to every 
corner of the globe. It's said that there's over 2 billion acknowledged believers and it's got this deep-seated act on civilization where it's affected culture and medicine and education and freedom and, of course, lives on in the lives of many people now all around the world. And the, the, the seedbed for all of that, the time when it kind of took decisive root was in this free decade period and it began with a few men and a few women and then the spirit of God came and so much happened in that short 30 years that if you haven't I'd encourage you to read it but it kind of makes me want to ask what God could do for a modern local group of believers in the same period of time what if our best days were still ahead of us what if we took seriously the invitation to be filled where we've leaked, to see the glass that has become half full or quarter full, not just get back to full, but actually be overflowing with a constant source pouring in? When I look at the book of Acts, it's not merely to analyze some dates and places and people as if we were cramming for a test. And surely instead our goal is to allow the message of this book to transform our hearts and to lead us on and into mission, not to study the book as people scrutinizing it for some kind of insight into the past, but rather approaching it as a people who are desperate to see God and to see what we read about move mightily in the present, where we move merely beyond admiring things of the history of the church and we don't want to read the Bible lightly or just scan it as if it's kind of gathering some kind of insight that's just going to fill this mental museum. But as a people that are continuing the mission of God in our time and in our day. And there's this guy, Luke, who writes the book of Acts. He's a doctor. You could say he would have had a more analytical view. Potentially he could have been more skeptical. He could have been more cynical. And Acts chapter 1 verse 1 says this, in my first book, I told you, Theopolis, I can never say, I'm just going to call him Theo. In my first book, I called you Theo about everything Jesus began to do and teach. In my first book, I told you about everything Jesus was going to begin to do and teach. Do and teach. It's not just teach, it's do as well, as well as teaching they were supposed to do it. They were supposed to live it out. They were supposed to learn to live like him. I think it's so easy just to listen and think that's enough, but that's not it. It's not just filling ourselves with head knowledge. It's about doing something and living something out. Jesus was teaching and doing. Jesus's deeds illustrated his works and his works explained his deeds. And he left the early church with the same ministry intending that we let others see our good deeds that glorify our Father in heaven. That's the language that Matthew would use in Matthew 5, helping others understand the good news that leads to eternal life. The words and the works of Jesus go hand in hand. In the Gospels, we see Jesus performing various miracles and he's merciful and these miraculous deeds. And we also see him teaching with astonishing authority. 
And then similarly, in the book of Acts, we see the church caring for the physical needs of people. Acts chapter 3, whilst also relentlessly preaching the good news further on in chapter 3. All under and with the Spirit's help, under the unction and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus empowered ministry of words and deeds among the nations. Start to see it spread rapidly out in Romans 15. One of the great gifts of Pentecost is that all believers can now speak for God. That's what we see in Acts 2. In a sense, all believers become prophets, not just these fans but players, so easy to be spectators, but we're called onto the field of play. The apostles, without a doubt, they led the early church, but the gospel advanced largely through the words and the deeds of untrained, ordinary people, uneducated people, almost informal missionaries, for want of a better word. If you think you don't know enough or you think you've not been around Jesus long enough and that's the thing that holds you back from living it out powerfully and passionately among the people around you I kind of want to say I think you're in good company because that's the people Jesus used the untrained ordinary people absolutely without a doubt he started to train them but the thing that was the standout thing about them wasn't them it was him it was the presence of God in them and among them. The church today, in fact, I think desperately needs to rediscover this practice. The only difference between one of us or a believer sitting in their home in, and a foreign missionary somewhere else sharing their faith abroad is actually the location. It's not the identity. Everyone who follows Jesus is a missionary and called to step into and live out the mission of God. And so each of us, I think we'd, we'd do well to, to ask ourselves, well, where do I serve and to whom do I minister? I'm, I'm excited as we step into this new space because it gives us space to grow. And as we grow, we should expect to grow because his presence among us sets us apart from all the other people on the earth. That's all we've got. And if I'm honest, it's all we want. But when we're full of the presence, we have to bear in mind that we leak and we need to be filled again. But when we have his presence, we're different. And so every environment we walk into will be different. We invite people into the story of God because his presence compels us to make a difference to the lives around us. Ordinary people of God equipped with the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, dedicated to the son of God, can accomplish the mission of God. Sharing the right message is actually only half of the matter. We must also be personally reliant on the Holy Spirit. One of the things I've loved personally the last few weeks is you become forced to lean into and press into and rely on the Spirit in new ways. We kind of see two marks of the Spirit's work in the disciples. They have this remarkable boldness, and then they also have this uh, magnification of Jesus. Jesus becomes front and center. And there's references to this Spirit-empowered boldness appearing throughout the whole of the book of Acts. Acts 4.31 says, after this, the prayer, after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Acts 28, verse 31, proclaiming, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And nobody tried to stop them. This is then how Peter can stand at Pentecost and go and preach so courageously after previously cowering in the presence of a little girl just a few weeks earlier. Further, we're reminded that the Spirit's purpose is to glorify Jesus. That's what he does. He starts to glorify Jesus in us and through us. John 16, verse 14, he will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. Peter's got this kind of spotlight ministry that always focuses attention onto Jesus. I think that's a great reminder that when people are living empowered lives by the Spirit, that their thoughts and their words start to center on Jesus rather than themselves. That's the goal of what we're about. Acts 4 verse 20, we cannot stop telling everyone about everything we've seen and heard. Honestly, I only want to tell you about Jesus. Not just now, but when I bump into you or I bump into anyone. I just want to talk about Jesus. I want to be around people who just want to talk about Jesus. When, when, when you're with people, would we be a people that just find ways to talk about Jesus? Pain can create another story and another narrative. We'll all have problems and trials and tribulations, and that can create its own story and its own narrative. But don't we just want to talk about Jesus? I kind of was sharing it last, last week for those that were here that the storm isn't even a storm when we know Jesus is with us in the boat. We don't focus on the storm. We focus on who's in the boat with us, who has power to control the storm. The antidote of our culture right now to this celebrity mindset and the focus that sadly is even sometimes in many churches where it becomes about the leader and what they wear in this kind of platform ministry, which, by the way, is frightening. I think the antidote to all of that is finding environments where all we do is talk about Jesus. Would it be that we just found environments to talk about Jesus? Jesus-centered, not self-centered, not my pain, my problem, my thing, my job, my, 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 my. It just becomes less in the face of Jesus that that's what we've become and that's what we talk about Acts 4 verse 20 we cannot stop telling about everything we've seen and heard would that be our story and our narrative about him that we just can't stop telling about him as ill for the kingdom comes only when we have a passion for the king these disciples gazed into heaven in astonishment at Jesus's glory as they later received Jesus' promise of the Spirit's power, they were hooked. I couldn't think of another word. They were hooked with Jesus. And we, I think, should have the same attitude. If I could just phrase that negatively to give you the understanding, little love for the king produces little zeal for the king's mission. We can almost call ourselves out. If I've seen more of Jesus, I'm going to be passionate about the things he's passionate about. May it be that the spirit is so deep in our lives and our love for this global savior as we seek to understand and apply the message of Acts. Has he got a hook in our hearts? I, I guess we can only answer that individually ourselves. And if it's not him that's got the hook, what has got the hook? The thing I've always seen is that the spirit goes where the spirit is welcomed 
we've got to welcome him to have more of him. We so easily get cynical and we get skeptical and we get negative or we just flatline without even realizing it. We have to repent of our unbelief or repent where the enemy is scratching for our thinking. When we spend time in the wrong places and are influenced in the wrong ways, we have to get around Jesus. We're called to receive the Holy Spirit and in the receiving there's power and that power comes with boldness. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Ardwick and Longsight and Wally Range. <laughs> Such a debate going on at the moment. Manchester Evening News says it's Wally Range. That, great, let's not start the debate. Apparently it's Wally Range. But today I really want to talk about the invitation to the Spirit then why on earth am I talking about sharing your faith with others? Because honestly, the two are inextricably linked. It's power for a purpose, filling to overflow, not just for us to be filled for something that we can get, but filling so that we leak it and we spread it to others because it's words and deeds. As we give it, we get it. And the more we get it, the more we give of it. And the more we give of it, the more we get it. And it goes on and on and on and on. Isaiah 54 verse 2, enlarge your house and build an addition. Will you create space for the Holy Spirit? Will you realize that you leak and need to be refilled? Will you realize that your need to be filled even in the first place? Will you realize that the glass has started to drain down if left to itself? Will there'll be things in your own strength, there'll be wounds, there'll be barbs that get into your heart that the heart of flesh can be a heart of stone that needs regularly and continually softening. So how do we get it? How do we get filled up? I think we've got to relentlessly ourselves seek and pursue the presence of God. Acts 1 verse 14, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. They met together in one place, united in prayer. Don't, don't try and do this alone. Don't try and live it out alone. Honestly, get in a small group. Get people around you who have been around Jesus and talk about Jesus constantly with them. Talk about Jesus yourself constantly. Read as much of the book as you can. Everything fights for your time and your space to read the book. Honestly, read the book. We've got to get around Jesus. Worship him as much as you can because what you put in is going to be the thing that comes out. What we reap is going to be the thing that we sow. We want to get in times together to worship as much as we can. We want to pray for people and be prayed for because we need each other. We need the ministry of the Holy Spirit and we should never tire of it. We should never hold back from it. I love singing that this morning. Don't hold anything back. Don't hold anything back. We want to drink deeply of the Spirit and when we start backing away from environments where we can deeply drink of the spirit that should be our first warning flag our first warning sign i i get our car serviced routinely 
a regular checkup. I don't wait until I have actually, before I've learned the hard way, don't wait until the tire falls off to do something about it. Don't wait till you can hear the noise. Don't throw yourself into environments of people praying and waiting on the spirit for you and discerning the voice of God when you've got the big one. Do it all the time. There'll always be the big one. You know the big one. The job interview. Can you pray for me now? The exams. For me, it's always the dentist. I've, <laughs> I've come to learn the definition, if you want it. Don't quote me on this. I've quoted it. The definition that's not actually true of prayer and fasting is going to the dentist. Honestly, it's phenomenal. You pray like your life depends on it. You then fast because you can't eat, because your mouth's numb and it all goes weird for so long. Whatever you put in your mouth falls out. But I, what I really want to say is don't wait for the big one. Don't wait for the big one. We do it all the time. I wait till my marriage is in crisis. I wait till something's happened in my life circumstance. Will you pray for me then? Surely we want to cultivate a hunger for the Holy Spirit at all times, at any time to wait on him, knowing that he wants to do this deep inner work with us. I actually think the big one isn't a big one when we often just walk with a cultivated life with a spirit because you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and then we will be witnesses telling everyone everywhere. The invitation, I think, is to renew our waiting on him, our expectancy and our hunger for him. Shall we do so? Why don't, why don't we stand together? If you're, if you're new in this, well, you're all new in this room. If you're here for the first time, we're, we're just going to spend some time waiting on the Holy Spirit. I just encourage you to become comfortable with what might feel uncomfortable. Almost want to potentially close your eyes, just soften yourself to the Lord. Spirit of God, we welcome you. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.